Welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Herb podcast telling the stories of women living across regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Sammy O'Brien, your host for today's episode. Our guest today is Jade Lord. As you'll soon learn, Jade has a wonderfully calming and gentle energy. A mother, wife and business owner, she's deeply invested in bringing health and well-being to rural and remote communities. Originally from Moreton Bay, Jade spent most of her early childhood on Stradbroke Island, a blissful beachside oasis surrounded by crystal clear water, white sand and rocky outcrops. It's a stark contrast from where Jade now calls home, a remote cattle station 120 kilometres outside of Richmond in Queensland. There with her husband Nico and three kids, Jock, Sandy and Ruby, they run a significant beef cattle operation spanning across Queensland. Jade and Nico had somewhat of a fairy tale romance, meeting on one of the early seasons of Farmer Wants a Wife. But Jade's life on the land wasn't without some major challenges. Jade, can you tell me exactly what you and Nico do on your property? Nico and I, we are based here on our home block, which is like the central hub of our business. Um, And we have a huge range of staff that work around us and with us all year round. But mainly on this hub is where we educate our wieners um, and we grow them out. And then they sort of get spread out across our different properties. So further north of um, our home property here, Nico and I have a block and that's where all of our breeders are. And so twice a year, Nico and I will go mustering up there, um, bring in all the breeders and um, take off their calves and then bring them back to our home block. Um, educate them, feed them, and then um, we look after them here until they're sort of big enough and strong enough. And then they sort of go in different directions, whether they're heifers or mickeys or steers. And um, it's because we've got country, so like I said, up towards the Gulf here in in northwest Queensland and then further in central Queensland. So we've got, um, we're nicely spread out to um, cater for all the different animal types. So when you do the mustering process, how long does that all take? So you do the muster and then do the cattle travel back down with you or do you send them on trucks or how does that all work? Yeah, so um, every prop, we've got three breeder blocks up in the north. So we'll go do one property, which takes about a week. And then we'll bring all the wieners back down here and we spend about a week just branding and educating them. And then we go to the next property and do the same process. So all in all, once we to get through all the breeders, it'll probably take um, two to three months. Um, and then, so that'll be right about now. So the beginning of the year around Easter, we kick off. And then we'll kick off again around September, October. Just It always depends on the season and the health of the cattle. Like um, if we can see that the cows are, are struggling um, and, you know, we'll probably go in a bit earlier and just take their calves off them just to, because we want to really maintain our cows' body weight and their health. Um, and so we can always look after the wieners and um, and take them off to just to manage the cows, the cow herd a bit better. 
Now you say you and Nico go up and do the muster. Do you have um, a bit of a team helping you as well? Yeah, so we've got our staff down here that we that live with us on our home block and we've got staff up on our property to the north and we all get together and we go to the muster together um, and we love to bring the kids as much as we can. So we've actually just finished our um, one of our musters and it's the first time our eldest, Jock, has um, jumped on his peewee and done a full day mustering. He's done a couple of days mustering now. So that was a bit of a proud moment for, for Nico and I. It was um, really cool to ride out <laughs> um, and see him on his little peewee. He had a few little stacks, of course, just mainly getting stuck in the sand. But um, it, even him just talking on the two-way and keeping everybody motivated and you'll hear, hear his little voice come on and be like, hey, you know, hey, mum, good job. You're doing a really good job. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Jock. <laughs> you know? oh. And he has to fully stop his bike just to be able to say something. And, yeah, it was just um, keeping everybody amused. Um, but so nice to have, you know, the family together. And um, it takes away from it being a, a job or a chore, you know. We want to make it a family fun event, Um and also, like, our staff are really beautiful with the children and including them and, and um, yeah, just getting them involved. You know, that's obviously um, mine and Nico's ideal lifestyle is being able to have the kids work with us and um, have that balance in our life. Oh, the visual I have in my head of little Jock on his peewee is just so, so sweet. <laughs> How old is he now? So he'll be six um, very shortly. Now you speak like you're a thousand percent from the country. I would never, ever know that you didn't grow up on the land. Can you tell us what it was like moving from, I guess, a city to the country? Yeah, it's quite the change. Um, you know, I grew up really enjoying spending every weekend by the ocean and, um, having that freedom to sort of travel to different places or different beaches as well. So um, I've always had a love and a passion for the land. And I've, I ever, ever since I was a little girl, I always knew that I'd probably end up in the bush. I didn't think it was going to be this remote and this um, <laughs> far away from my family. But huge contrast and for anyone and any other woman who's probably um, done the same sort of shift and move that I have, you know, um, you leave your family, you leave your friends, you leave everything that you know, probably, you know, a job or a career that you're probably very, um, uh, very good at. And, um, and you have to start all over again. And I think the hardest thing for me was not the isolation but having to learn um, in this field of work, like I knew absolutely nothing. And one of the funny things that I still refer to is like the simplest thing. Nico said, can you go to that trough and take the bung out? And I was like, what the hell is a bung? And like, that's how green I was. I had no idea. You know, now it's like, I don't know, just part of our everyday language. But the work was challenging it was the start of the drought it was 2013 um so we were working six seven day weeks very long days and just trying to manage the herd and, um, and the grass and everything so I was really thrown in the deep end and I remember 
really probably not processing what I was doing. Like I just had to keep rolling with every day and just being told what to do. And it probably about six to eight months later, I was like, okay, well, this, this lifestyle is probably, well, it's, it's hard. It's hard work and it's challenging and it's fatiguing. And I was really fatiguing and probably losing a bit of myself and um, yeah, struggling to be honest. I really started to struggle with the whole, the whole bit then, you know, our relationship, the lifestyle, where I was living and not many friends um, and even not socializing, not even leaving the property to see people. So then it had a big snowball effect and I had to really take a step back and take a breath and go, okay, if this is where I want to be long-term, then I need to, yeah, I need to get back to my roots just to create that balance for myself so that one, I loved, you know, I loved being here with Nico and, and working in this field, but um, it probably wasn't serving my greater purpose or really, um, igniting the passions you know my own passions so I had to figure out a way that I could do a bit of me and do this lifestyle I think there is often a misconception especially um, maybe from people living in the city that are moving to the country that it's this beautiful romantic life but the reality of it is just so different to that yes there's probably so many women right now going like shaking their heads and yes and um you know we we never want to leave like we never want to quit we we love it but it's just full on and it's constant you know if you're not if it's not about the cows you know and feeding the cows it's about feeding the people um or you know schooling the children or doing the accounts or fixing things on the compound like when you live remotely you really need to be so versatile and have you so many different hats you have to wear so it's a yeah it's not a nine to five job that's for sure (laughs) how soon after meeting Nico did you make the move so we kept in contact we kept seeing each other like he'd come down to Brisbane and I'd come up for a couple of weeks for about six months and then um about six months later I decided that I'd come and do one of his masters up in the north like on you know where we go bring in all the breeders and I did a month stint with him and um just to see how we went working together and whether or not I really enjoyed it and there's that was probably one of the hardest days weeks of my life and um it's quite a funny story about it but it was the first time I'd experienced 45 degree heat he um we landed on this remote property up in the gulf he gave me a map a motorbike and her pliers and a water bottle literally on my first day um and sent me a out with one of these fellas to do some fencing and some and you know mustering and he said oh there'll be a Toyota you'll be able to fill up your water bottle later and grab some lunch later meanwhile I got sent to just different mob different mob so I missed the youth and by three four o'clock I was like perishing um and I'd run out of water and it was just 
you know, I, I got water from Nico at that point and it was fine. I still had fruit and that in my, in my bike box, but it was like, wow, where, like, I had no idea where I was. And, <laughs> but um, I guess seeing everybody ride in at sunset with a big mob of cows and working together, there was a lot of joking and laughing around the mob and everyone's filthy, dirty and sweaty. And, um, you know, it was just really beautiful. And I personally love, I guess, working out and outside and in nature and with animals and I guess energies. So um, it was hard work, but there was so much joy and fun amongst it. You know, if you, if you had a extra bowl of water with you, it'd be even better. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that day really set the tone. <laughs> um, well, that was like the hardest day. And sorry, that was the hardest day. Everything after that then became a lot easier. That was your benchmark. That was it. Yeah. And that <laughs> is like, okay, if you can get through that, you'll get through anything. So. That was your first test. Yeah. <laughs> you passed. <laughs> now let's talk about your beautiful kids. Those early few years, weren't all smooth sailing for you can you talk to me about jock jock when he was born um we had the healthy hearing test done in hospital which every little new uh, baby gets and um he failed his first test and he failed his second test so we sent were sent to the audiologist um for further testing and nico and i were very naive we weren't concerned because there's absolutely no hearing loss on either side of our families um, so we walked in there just to to do what we had to do, and we walked out. Um, yeah, ba- we we walked out, shut the door, and both burst into tears because um, reality kicked in that our firstborn child and our son um, had a hearing loss. He had quite a severe hearing loss, and I guess you know as a new mum to a newborn you've got all the enough feels and emotions going on to then have that um that sort of news put on you um it took us a day or two to really just absorb that information and then go right you know it's not so bad you know there was definitely passed forward and you know jock has was fitted with hearing aids literally by the time he was three months old um, he or maybe even younger he um, has hearing aids and he still wears them you know all the time now so what we have now is it's still a very happy healthy child who just has to wear hearing aids every day to um to to hear um, I guess that initially was a challenge it's not anymore but what is still a challenge not only for jock and for our other children, um, and I guess for us as parents, is the distance that you have to travel for these specialist appointments. And, you know, I guess it's getting better and I hope it gets better again for the services. But for mothers who even just need um, a scan for pregnancy or a specialist appointment for eyes, ears, nose, whatever it may be, you know, it's a six, seven hour car trip for us it's a seven hour car trip for us and um that's taxing on the children it's taxing on us it puts pressure on the homestead and the business and 
usually those appointments are only half an hour or an hour, you know. So it's a big process just to go and keep the children's tests and hearing devices up to speed. So I guess that's probably one of the downfalls of living in the bush and living isolated is that you're a long way from specialists and I guess a long way from um, safety, like hospitals and um, doctors and that. Like should anything happen, we're over an hour to the nearest doctor in a hospital, which as a parent, um, to be honest, lives in the back of your mind. So you're always super cautious. <laughs> you're cautious anyway, but when you know you've got a fair way to go to get the to get them help, um, yeah, you makes you a little bit more nervous. So um, I don't know what we do about that, and I don't know if there is anything we can do. But um, I guess it is hard, not only for me, but I know other mothers um, in the area or who live remotely that do big trips, big travels, um, just to ensure that their children have the right needs, you know, like the right care um, for them. So the closest big city to you guys is Townsville, and that's seven hours one way. So that's a 14-hour round trip for you guys for let's say a 30 minute appointment would you do that in one day or would you have to stay overnight because the logistics of even that is quite stressful absolutely no I wouldn't I would um overnight and because it's too much on the kids it's not fair on the kids and thankfully Jock was a great traveler but then my other two weren't good travelers and they um Sandy my second he has also got a hearing loss so we had to go through all the same things with him so traveling to Townsville every six to eight weeks for um hearing appointments and for his hearing aids and he was a terrible traveler so that just stresses me out and stresses him out and yeah it's um it's never fun but we all survive and it's what you have to do and it's what we continue to do because we know it's you know for for their benefit so we get there and um you know we go and go for a swim and we get an ice cream and everybody's happy again (laughs) oh my gosh the thought of even traveling for an hour with my baby makes me quite stressed (laughs) So I just can't imagine what that would have been like for you uh, with two and one being a baby. And then when Ruby came along, you had three. So are you still going in for those appointments every now and then? Um, we do, but nowhere near as often, probably like twice a year. So we just we just tie that in with another trip, like another reason for us to have to go to Townsville because we do need to go for supplies or for other appointments throughout the year. So we just tie it all in together. When you found out that Sandy, your second baby, also had hearing loss, was that something that came as a huge shock for you or you just dealt with that? You'd already experienced it before, so it wasn't the biggest deal. Um, it was It was still a big deal. It was still, it's still sad. And Nico and I, when we got that failed test again in hospital, because because uh, we did a lot of genetic testing with Jock and a lot of testing with him and everything came back as as normal really and that it was just a one-off so we thought okay our next children probably won't have the same disability um 
so when Sandy's came back and he failed, um, we were like, oh, geez, you know, like here we go again. But it was honestly so much easier second time around. I knew what was ahead of us. I knew what we had to do. I knew what to look for. I knew how to keep the hearing aids in. Um, all those little tricks and, and um, trials that we had with Jock, I was sort of all over by the time Sandy came around. In those early few months, were you doing a lot of the trips by yourself? Because I guess you couldn't both leave the property every time you needed to go to one of the appointments. Yeah, I generally did them on my own. Um, you know, if Nico could join me, he definitely would. But I just knew how short the appointments were and I knew what to do. So it was really pointless him being there. Um, a bit later on when I had to get both boys tested, then yes, I definitely needed Nico or somebody else with me because, um, you know, it, it's quite a particular setup on how to do their testing. So I needed Nico to have one of the kids so I could do the testing with the other. So he would need to factor that into his schedule and, and come down and join us. But yeah, it wasn't always necessary for Nico to come down. You mentioned earlier that at the start of your time living on the property, you realised that you just really needed to get um, back to your roots and work out what it was that you loved doing as well outside of station life. Can you tell me about what you did with that and how you came to start the classes in town? Yeah, so it was a really beautiful way it all unfolded and rolled out because um, it was really just through conversations and me stepping out and just getting to know more people in the community because um, it was very I didn't leave the station very much and I think that was also probably taking its toll on me that I I actually enjoy social interaction or probably social connection more like one-on-one -on -one connection with people and so when I was in town I just um, really felt and noticed that the morale was really down and low because we were right in the thick of the drought. And, um, you know, I was like, what can we do? Like there was at that time not a lot of community classes or, you know, community social events. And, and so I just put some feelers out, you know, if I started doing some yoga classes, would you come along? If I did some kids kickboxing and self-defense, you know, would your children be interested? And I, and there was a lot of like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. We need something. So I went off and did my yoga teacher training, fell pregnant with Jock. <laughs> so I actually did my um, first class in Richmond, uh, first yoga class at about five months pregnant. And um, I had a beautiful rollout of women show up. And ever since then, you know, that was six years ago, I've had um, a continual, I've been teaching classes, yoga classes ever since. And um, so that's been really beautiful. And I've also worked with the school and the early education system. And then again, through conversations with the community, you know, they started asking for, oh, hey, can you record it and send it out? So from that, that gave me the idea to create the website. And so that's how Yoga Rights Outback um, was born. And um, that then led into more mindfulness and meditations to then one-on-one -on -one coaching to then nutrition. So now it's like a one-stop shop and, and a full package where 
I really want to help people um, on a cellular level and then right through their physical, mental, and emotional bodies as well. And I think if you really want to enhance your health and well-being, you actually need to look at and tap into all areas of our health and well-being, you know, right from the cellular level. And um, so I really love how Yoga Rights has um, grown and evolved over the years, um, purely just through me hearing what people are needing and what people were wanting. And um, and I've gone off and done my studies and, you know, partnered with different um, groups and businesses to ensure that I can um, offer people, you know, that really holistic approach to your health and well-being. Where were these women coming from that were doing your classes? Were some of them travelling huge distances? Yeah, so I've got a couple of women that still travel from out of town to come to my weekly yoga classes, which I love. Um, and then I do have um, a majority in the majority are probably in town. Um, and then online, you know, well, anyone and everyone can join in. But the weekly classes that I do now really um, involve our local community and then the two surrounding districts so they've got access I sort of do a live cross while I've got the you know while I've got people in front of me I do a live cross so that those that can't travel across still get to join in and be a part of it. What has the feedback or what was the feedback when you initially started the classes what were people saying in the community? Um I guess it took a little bit for them to open up and probably get to know me and warm to me and trust me and, and trust my offerings and even the yoga practice itself. Like it was very new. Um, very few of the women joining me had actually done yoga before. So it was very foundational yoga um, and new to them so it always feels a bit awkward and icky and you don't understand what I'm saying and what is that pose and oh my god she's not putting I don't have to make that shape with my body do I like it can be a bit daunting at the beginning but I love how they trusted me and they stuck with it and again like I said these women have been with me now for six years and I have seen them just beautifully transform in their own yoga practice in their own mental strength and well-being and also I can now take them a little bit deeper and further in their own practice um, with you know stronger meditations and stronger breath work and so I the way that it's rolled out has was just the way that it needed to be we all started at the beginning and we've really built um you know and strengthened our bodies and minds over the years together and it was as much as a learning curve for them as it was for me because I had to keep growing and evolving myself to keep taking them that little bit further as well is it something that you when you first started it you didn't realize just how much you actually needed it for yourself as well oh 100% <laughs> I I often joke about this because like I said, I this all came about just as I fell pregnant pregnant with um, my first child, with Jock. And now with having 
I've got three children now, but having the two boys close together, so it's very noisy, it's very loud. They, you know, they love to get into stuff and and where anyone who knows me, I'm quite a um chilled, calm, quiet sort of setting. And so I was like, okay, this is why I had to learn yoga was just to be able to keep my kids with my own children and <laughs> um, making them sound terrible. They're not, they're just typical boys who just love to, you know, run and play. And so again, a learning curve that this has definitely um, benefited my life and the like us as a family, but I've also seen how much it's impacted on a positive note, the community as well. And I guess it just gives, well, you as well, but it gives everyone just a bit of a break from whatever's going on on the station or whatever's going on in their daily lives. It's just something that's probably so refreshing for people in the country because I guess there aren't many yoga offerings out there. So it would have been such a lovely breath of fresh air when you started it. Yeah, I think it was. And what I love most um is seeing the women give themselves permission to come and spend an hour on themselves and take the time out of their day to come and honour themselves. And, you know, we often talk about it. It was only just in this week's class that we were reflecting on this as well. You know, it's so easy to go, oh, just go to yoga, just go to yoga, like leave the washing, leave the mopping, um, you know, do the water run this afternoon, whatever it may be, just get yourself to on, you know, to the yoga class and roll out your mat. And, you know, at the end of it, it's like, oh, I so needed that. Like I just needed that hour to reset. Um, and then you can get on with your day. Like, and I think it's a really uh, strong battle that women have with themselves in knowing that it's okay to go and take time out for themselves to do this. And it's not just yoga. Like, you know, yoga isn't just about, you know, moving your body into funny shapes. It's about knowing and understanding what your body needs, how to um, utilize your breath to support you through everything from anxiety to frustration to um, you know, cardio support, like so much. And there, there's something in it for every everyone. Like there's a benefit to a, in a yoga practice for absolutely everyone. Well, you're doing a very, very wonderful thing for your community. Where to next for Yoga Rides Outback? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. At the moment, we're humming along beautifully. I love all the services that I'm offering. I guess I'd like to just go bigger and wider like just reach into more communities and um just for yeah support people and I love one-on-one support too I love when people reach out and say hey I'm six weeks pregnant or six months pregnant you know what do you suggest or hey I got sciatica pain so I love that connection like I said I I love one-on-one connection and supporting people in that way so um yeah hopefully I can just um reach more communities that don't have access to these sorts of services and um be able to help you enhance your life in 
whichever way that is for you. What is your favourite thing about raising kids on the land? Raising our children on the land has been such a joy. It's um, particularly, I guess, we've got these, first of all, two little boys and now I've got a daughter who's one year old. But, you know, the boys just absolutely love being on the tractor with us or being on the motorbike with us or being down the yards and experiencing what we're doing. And I know Ruby, our daughter, will be just as much as involved. And I think one thing that's really important for Nico and I is about having that work-life balance. And so we're so fortunate that we get to have our children in and around us while we're doing work. You know, I say that as in um, with a bit of confidence, like what we do every day, they get to be part of a lifestyle. And so we get to have smoke under a tree together or lunch, you know, in a paddock uh, with a big mob of cows and then come home and, you know, then get time to play or do school together. And I think this lifestyle where we get to do it together, I just couldn't have imagined that this was even possible from the city. You know, look, living isolated and children doing school of the air has its pros and cons. I know probably more social social interaction with other children would be amazing for the kids. But right now um, we get to spend every day and all day with our children. So I think we're, we're their best teachers and role models at the moment and they'll have plenty of time to go and get their own social interaction in the years to come. So it's been amazing and really special to see. After my conversation with Jade, I thought how remarkably refreshing it was to hear her raw honesty and unfiltered account of her journey of moving to the bush. Her story of finding her footing and navigating through those initial challenges was beautifully counterbalanced with her genuine love for the outback and the lifestyle it affords. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Until next time, have a wonderful week.